You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 42 of the MXU podcast. And boy, do we have a great group of people today. We are back with two of our favorites. Absolutely. They are part of the family. They're not even special guests. This is a family episode. And it is Breakfast with Stan. The myth, the man, the legend has returned. And Grace is with us as well. What's up, guys? What's up? Hey, good morning. Highly caffeinated. So glad to see you guys, even though we're yeah, even though we're just on Zoom, I feel like it's face to face or at least as close as we can get these days. But it's been since January since we've actually been in the same room. So, Stan, it's so good to see you. Great to see all of you as well. Thank you so much. And Grace, good to see you again. Nice to see you guys. Feels like it's been too long. It has. And you're on your boat because I see lots of uh, wood paneling and blue accents. Yeah, I got lots of time to sand some things. No excuses not to get some projects done. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, it's Breakfast with Stan. It's been way too long since we've done one of these. It's probably about the right amount of time to really think about it. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I, uh, Stan, I think this makes you the... Uh, you're the winner now. You've been on the podcast the most. You've just dethroned... Robert Scoville. Well, if I'm going to dethrone anybody, it would be him. It should be. <laughs> he needs a new career. Amazing, but he's a good guy, so that's good. Yeah. So, um, Stan, what have you been up to? How's your year going? Uh, my year is going very well. Uh, I now have five grandsons and three granddaughters. So that's a pretty good start. That is good. And uh, our slingshot company is doing well in spite of stuff. And uh, I've met a whole lot of new people online that had it not been for COVID, I wouldn't have had an opportunity to meet them. And that's been very energizing, actually. I've actually been pretty intentional about that. So uh, someday I hope to meet them in person. But... Uh, no, uh, things are good, um, and things are tough, uh, both. Yeah, so you said you know, Slingshot has had a really good season business-wise during this time, um, but what's been the main, what, like, for those of you guys who don't know, Slingshot specializes in basically finding great people to work in great churches, and so they help churches find great staff. And they help great people who are looking for jobs find great churches to work in. And so what's been the main kind of thrust of the hiring these days? I mean, what are churches needing and what are they looking for and what are they hoping to find in some of the people that you guys have been able to, to partner with? Well, we have several different divisions, uh, senior leadership, students, family, Uh, experience, which under that title is uh, tech arts and uh, communication and and uh, worship leaders and the like. But the thing that's been interesting is how many churches are looking for senior pastors now. Really? Yep. 
And that's been a big, that, that really has jumped up a lot for us. And student ministry has been doing very well. We, uh, children's has been the area that's been the toughest, I think, because, uh, because of COVID, churches just could not deal with it. They couldn't. Yeah. You don't want your kids going to Sunday school, you know, um, when my kids were in Sunday school back in the 1800s, um, <laughs> we wanted them to get in the church nursery as soon as possible so they could get every possible disease that they could find so yeah, that they build could up that actually immunity. grow up and be a, a regular person. Yeah. Get them, you know, all the immunities that they needed. But now it's different. Um, and I think churches... Uh, they may have lucked out in some ways that things are starting to open up. And I'm not sure that's going to stay that way, by the way. But uh, it seems like that that's what, what's trying to happen. And so I think churches were wanting to hire to get ready for it when they do come back. But uh, youth ministry See, is uh, everybody's reinventing that. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing that I have been the most, one of the things I've been the most interested in is the disease of redundancy. And mm. I have watched way more online services than any Christian should have to do. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I have done, I have watched a lot of them. I've seen some of the worst ones, by the way. I was trying to be a Christian there. and uh, But the redundancy thing is shocking to me. So I made this little graph uh, down the left side. It's on a scale of 1 to 10. It's uh, engagement. Like if, if you're a 1, you suck really bad. If you're a yeah. 10, people are speaking in tongues and dancing. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, so, uh, and across the top are five minute intervals. And so I, I kind of, you know, in the movie industry, they, they call a thing, a, the interesting points call them beats. So what is the beat of the movie, you know? Uh-huh. And, yeah. and so, uh, I did this little graph a year ago, I did it and it kind of went from, um, uh, Four to 15 minutes later, it might have jumped to a six. And then maybe when the pastor was at his best, it might have jumped to a, an eight or it might have dipped to a two. Who knows, you know. Yeah. But anyway, this graph, and a year ago when I did it, if you overlaid all the church services that I observed, uh, they were all the same on my graph. They peaked at the same time. Like in a, in a movie, they usually peak 70% of the way through the movie is when the cars are crashing and uh, the, a little kid's holding his grandpa's hand walking down the railroad track, you know. Yeah. Uh, on a rainy day with uh, songs in a minor key, which churches don't allow, <laughs> by the way. Uh, churches don't like songs in a minor key. And you've, heard, you've heard me talk about churches way too hap happy because they use too many major third chords which I, yep. I really believe that. And, uh, 
But anyway, uh, the redundancy thing has been very interesting to me, and I've been talking to a lot of people about how to possibly avoid redundancy. And so that's been an interesting thing for me. But uh, So anyway, that's th those are the things, and um, uh, I'm uh, listening to a lot of books and uh, during this time and reading a lot and trying to write some of my ideas down. I'm, I have never uh, mastered Evernote. So that's my new, and you're going to say, like that was 10 years ago, dude. There's something a lot better than that now. And don't tell me <laughs> that because I'm, I'm really working hard. In fact, this afternoon I have a, a coaching thing that a guy's coaching me on Evernote. So nice. I want to be able to capture my thoughts. So I'm an Evernote student right now. That's awesome. Yeah. So before we, before we go down too many other rabbit trails, I want to know in terms of your engagement graph, Throughout COVID, have you seen that 70% thing change? Like if you overlaid those services now, would they look like different plots or is it still similar? And what's what do you think people are doing to change that? I'm so glad you asked. A year ago, it would have been four, five, now I'm thinking of an hour and 15-minute service, four, five, seven, three, Eight four 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 four. Okay, the four 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 is when the pastor's uh, finishing his message, and the keyboard player comes out and plays major third chords uh, yeah. underneath his prayer. And uh, <clears throat> which that's in the Bible somewhere. It's got to be because everybody does it. But uh, <laughs> now, uh, Jeff, everything is a four and a five and a four and a five and a four and a five and a four and a five. Nothing is peaking. And nothing is crashing. It's it's so much the same. It's frightening. And um, I think it's a lack of of, of pre collaborative pre collaborative effort is why. And um, huh. but now it's redundancy. That's the reason I call it now redundancy instead of engagement because now it is you have to avoid the redundancy thing. So. Just makes everything feel flat. Yeah, it seems very flat. Yeah. Stan, what kind of advice are you giving to congregation? Uh, our tech teams, are they altering music? Are you having them look at their lighting, uh, add video content, take some of the video content away? What are you giving them D's and F's on? Churches enjoy debriefing more than planning. And uh, which is a huge mistake. Debriefing meetings are cancerous. They're just the worst. And uh, uh, they're not fun. And uh, everybody says at a debrief meeting, they'll go, well, uh, what went wrong? And then where did God show up? And I, I never <laughs> understood that. But uh, I think he so. <laughs> So, where did God show up? Well, I don't know. Ask him. And so, uh, <clears throat> I hope he was there the whole time in the strobe lights. It's, you know, it's it's not like he's wearing headphones and just chiming in when he wants to. You know? Man, that kick, that kick drum though sounded good. So, so um, I do believe that there should be a lot more time 
in collaborative meetings about what is about to happen. And I think collaboration takes six hours, and most churches do not have the patience to put five people in the room to really talk through what might be happening and what we can plan for. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm encouraging them to spend a lot more time thinking about what they're going to deliver because the deliver the shipping, as Seth Godin talks about, the shipping or the delivering is far easier than the concept. So figuring out what the story is, and uh, and by the way, <laughs> my favorite new uh, cartoon that I watch with my two and a half year old grandson is called Aliens TV. Have you ever seen it? No, no. Oh. There's these three little aliens that are on a, like on an iPad, and they watch uh, what people on Earth are doing, and then they emulate it. And then they they don't have a language; they just jibber jabber. If you have any, if you know, instead of doing your devotion like tomorrow, just do <laughs> Alien TV. Okay, it'll change your life. It's fantastic. <laughs> But I guarantee you, the people that do the alien TV spend a lot of time collaborating on what the topic should be, and uh, uh, so I, I I encourage people back to your question to spend more time thinking through what they're about to do. Are people's egos getting in the way because we're recording because it's on the internet more than like a live service? Do you, do you hear about teams, their button heads, because it is so, you know, a recording that's going out? I think that the, that the ideas are siloed and they're like different chapters of a book, but not all the chapters relate to the book. And so it's like, you know, you guys are going to do this. This is the video you're going to do, which happens usually about seven minutes into the service and uh, they're going to, there's going to be a two and a half minute video and just the liturgy itself is, is repetitive. And so uh, uh, I think, I don't think there's enough playing what if, and there's, I don't think there's enough of, are we fooling ourselves? Is it are are we is what we're delivering what we really want to deliver? And so I think because of uh, it's more checking boxes. Okay, you your thing is fine, your thing is fine, and we're just going to uh, acquiesce to each other, and we're going to tolerate that. That's going to be great. Well, and is what we're delivering actually what people need? I think that's, you know, to your point about how you guys define the experience ministry, I think now more than ever, it's so important to have the communications team around that table and part of that conversation because they're typically responsible for the social media strategy and the sort of the brand identity of the expression of the local church. And so for them to have their finger on the pulse of what people are actually asking for is probably going to be a stronger voice in that conversation maybe than what even the senior pastor knows. So now more than ever, this collaborative idea is so important. Yeah. I think there's a, an opportunity to change the culture of 
preparation and delivering. And pastors, you know, they may spend 15, 20 hours a week on their messages. Some I know do more. And uh, some I, I know do three. But I do think that challenging people to sit in a room, like if, if we decided right now that we're going to do something together, the four of us, and we go, okay, after lunch, we're going to get back on Zoom. And we're going to spend four hours, and and we're all going to go, oh crap, right. four hours. And by the way, it's always important in those collaborative, creative meetings to have at least one person in the room that shouldn't be there. <laughs> okay, that's normally me. <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> it really is. You talk about the debrief meeting. I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the one that throws the the wrench in the plan everybody's skipping on rainbows about how great they did and i'm like i hated this i hated this no but that is needed that's why you're that's why you get invited into cool stuff is because the person who thinks they shouldn't be there is also the one that's most important absolutely so that, that's you grace guaranteed 50 percent of the people in the room they watch me come in and sit down they go oh no <laughs> well, you know, maybe the maybe Grace to the the answer is let's let's start with a debrief meeting, and let's just let's debrief first, and uh, and then see what we can what we can deliver. But uh, that's actually a good idea. Let's talk about what's going to go wrong, so we don't plan that stuff in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> it is repetitive. It's gotten real vanilla. It's like. All right, this is the way it starts. You're going to pray, and then we're going to go into a song, and then another song, and then you pray again. Here comes the pastor, outro song over. And it's like, I could predict exactly the way it's going to go every Sunday. Especially when every song feels exactly the same. Shoot, I heard the same song two weeks ago. Yeah, Well, I heard the same song three times in the same worship set. And all three songs are 78 beats a minute. They're all in the the same key. Yeah. The, the, uh, you know, pastors, you know, back to the graph idea, uh, down the left column, I, I call it an engagement. A lot of pastors call it energy. And I tell people, if, you know, if it's, and you've heard me say this at Mix U conferences, that if it's energy that your pastor wants, just play NASCAR videos for the first five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and people will really, they'll light up. Uh, our NFL highlights, you know, after this week, maybe we're going to have some new ones, you know, to play. But the the whole energy, it takes more energy to confess and meditate than it does to celebrate. Somebody write that down. That'll mm-hmm. piss off some pastors, though. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's what, You want to get a worship leader fired? Have them open up the service with meditation. And right before the pastor comes out, have them meditate. And then pastor walk out to a very silent, somber moment. It's like, that's a charismatic pastor's worst nightmare. Right? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be the Eeyore in the room. I'm at the moment sick of hands in the air. I love Jesus. This is the way things are going. Just absolutely great and cake because my... A good group of my friends, thousands of them are out of work. They're depressed. They're stuck at home with family. They're not used to seeing and they're having a really hard time. And yep. 
recently, I've been a little bit of the sourpuss going into these kind of face shoving some of our worship leaders saying, you know, remember what it was like that very first time you believed that first hour when you were on your knees, when everything sucked and you could not get up and remember what it was like for someone to reach down and pull you up by the bootstraps against your will. That's what we need to be putting out every Sunday because that's what people are experiencing. We're not skipping on rainbows out here. I'm sick of it. Uh we can just stop right now because that'll Seriously. preach. I told you, you don't want me in your meeting. <laughs> I guarantee you. Well, maybe we should just do it. We should have a sad worship service. And uh, and just like, I guarantee you, if you're at a church of 5,500 or 5,000 or 50,000, you stand a better chance of relating to people through pain than through celebration. Yeah. And so um, that's where, that's why I like Willie Nelson so much is that he sends it, you know, you know, I used to tell singers in the studio, if you haven't been at least three months behind in your rent, you can't sing these, you can't sing these Jesus songs, you know, that will preach. No. Yeah. And that yeah. spiritual awakening, that turn in, that's our oxygen. You know, that's what's going to flip things around for us and get us through these obstacles. We're, we're all trying to do something that's really hard right now. And, and we need that willingness, that fuel. And uh, we get a little complacent after we've been believers for a while. You know, our, I, our pastor tries to remind us, like, if you've forgotten what it's like, talk to somebody who's a new believer. Yeah, and especially when you read the Gospels, because the most compelling stories are those in which people met Jesus at their greatest point of need. That's why we love the miracles. That's why we love all of the encounters with people like the woman at the well, is because here's the man who knew everything I ever did, and he met me there in the middle of it and pulled me out. I mean, that's that's the story of the gospel, and that's what people need now more than ever. Okay, so, you know, I feel like church staff are probably really disconnected from planet Earth right now because everything, if you work in church or any kind of business associated with church, it's going really well. This is the strangest thing. No one's coming to buildings, but everyone's giving is up. It's it's strange. So like staff meetings, it's like, let's celebrate. Meanwhile, the rest of the earth is um, not unified at all on multiple levels, politics, social issues. There's a pandemic. And it's like, how do we get more connected? And um Stan, I was looking through your book this morning and there's a chapter and it talks about treat people like people and how the chapter was about how um, supervisors are more loyal to their people than people are to their supervisors. But the rest of the chapter says, well, you should actually treat people like people. What, what did you mean by that? Because I think if like when worship leaders and creatives and production guys are planning out their weekends, if they think about people as people, maybe maybe that's something that would help us. I was I was watching uh, a service online three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, and big auditorium, theater seats, 
and the pastor walked, and the camera followed the pastor from the steps, from the stage down the steps. Pastor walked out and sat in the middle of the auditorium. By him, and he was the only one there. He's sitting by himself, and he's looking around like. And it it had this feeling to me of finally somebody is relating to the culture that people are lonely and that's struggling right now. I just loved that. But the context of what you're talking about, Lee, in the book, um, that may be in the, the chapter called Precision Praise, which is a concept of knowing how to praise people without complimenting them. And uh, one of the things that has changed so much in culture, and it's part of the uh, industrial, industrial revolution history, in the way American businesses are developed. It also comes from military minds uh, of back from all the world wars, World War One, Two, Korean War, Vietnam War. Uh, one thing that has happened in culture is that particularly millennials, I, you know, I have old millennials and young millennials. Young millennials are 18 to 27. Old millennials are 28 to 35. Okay, that's my, that's my definition. Lee, you're finally old in some category. I love I it. I know. I'm an old millennial, barely. Here's what's... Nobody wants to be managed anymore. If... if you know, I, I have eight grandkids, and I'm one of them's 14, and I'm already talking to her... Uh, 15. I'm already talking to her about, hey, you don't want to ever manage anybody. Nobody likes that. You don't want to be managed... You don't want to be, you know, for me personally, the last thing in the world I'm working on right now is efficiency. I do not care about it. And so I want to be helpful. Uh, Jesus came to serve. And the leadership word is so much, is so overused right now. I did everything I could to not call our book Improv Leadership. I wanted to call it something else. And the publishers and the people on our staff beat me up, and I had to give in to them. But I would have liked to have called it something else because it's more about serving than leading. It's more likely that a great servant become a leader than a great leader become a servant. And so back to that, back to the book, people respond well to people that believe in them and that are talking to them. Uh, that's the reason that annual reviews are a waste of time. Yeah. And uh, people need to be have experienced uh, somebody believing in them and caring for them and giving them a seat at the table. Uh, if you want millennials to excel in your organization, a church or a company or whatever, give them a voice before you think they're ready. They need to have a vote. Got it. So what? how do you give people a vote when they suck? They suck because you haven't given them a vote. Oh, dang it. 
<laughs> um, I'll give an example. And one of the guys on our staff uh, who helped, who co-wrote the book with me actually is David Miller. And five years ago, four years ago, I told David, I said, David, you're going to be working with Slingshot in the future, but in three years from now, you're not going to be doing the same job you're doing now. And he kind of got nervous and he goes, what do you mean? I go, I don't know what I mean. But you, this needs to be an organization where you can maneuver and where your, your desires and, and your dreams can be uh, realized within our organization. And then three, three years down the road, I said, I want you to head up our coaching division. And he said, really? I go, yeah. I said, you know what that means? He goes, what? Your vote wins over mine. He goes, Really? I go, yeah. I said, there may be something totally weird that I might arm wrestle you over, but if I were in charge of it, I would leapfrog over important important things that that the that our division, that the coaching division needs. And I, I would hurt it if I was leading it. So you need to do that. I want you to do it. So now it's his. And it's it's giving a person an opportunity. That's the reason I don't like the term next gen, because yeah. you're basically saying to people, to young people, you know, that I can see it now. Like Sunday night church, the pastor brings up the youth ministry, the youth pastor, and they bring up 10 students from the youth ministry, and everybody starts clapping. And, oh, praise the Lord. This is fantastic. And then they say, this is the next generation. I'm going, oh. Crap, no. This is the, you're basically patting them on the head and saying, have a seat. Not yet. Wait right. your turn. But when it's time, we'll call you in. Yeah. And so, um, and I'm, I'm a big zagger. I don't, I, I don't zig, I zag. And I think that, that it's important that we let people, that teach people how to zag and give an opportunity to zag sooner in their life. So what happens when, because this has happened to me before, and as the organization keeps growing and your own level in the organization rises and people below you, that, that even feels weird to even say it like that. But when you pass on authority and responsibility to someone beneath you organizationally, but then, I, like I'm not a micromanager at all, so it's really easy for me to do that. But when things aren't going well, how do you know when to step in and when not to? Especially when someone could be saying, no, everything's fine, but you know that it's actually not fine. You're asking me that question? Yeah. Do you still do nothing and just go, nope, Dave, that's, that's your thing. Do what you want. Number one, run to the pain. Number two, always say the bad news first. And so let's just say that somebody, first of all, good people are self-correcting. That's the reason we don't need as many debriefs, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. No good production person needs to be told they missed a cue. They're, they're beating right. themselves up faster and harder than anybody else will. Uh, by the way, the most confident people, beware of confident people, because typically overly confident people are slow to listen and they're not flexible. 
So if you got a person in your organization that seems to be overconfident, take them out to lunch or bring them, go for coffee and just say, is it possible that, that the confidence that you have can get in the way of you listening to other people or other concepts or ideas? Is your confidence in the way of you learning and moving forward? And let's just say somebody had an attitude problem. <clears throat> about, you know, showed up in a meeting and they were aggravating the meeting. And then uh, immediately after the meeting, I would bring them, I would say, hey, come here, I want to show you something. I want to talk to you about something. In that meeting, you said this, and it caused this to happen. How, how does that, that's my perception. Do you have any comment about that? Because it's, and then, what we do when we when we correct people is that we we say the correctiveness and then we tail on a whole bunch of crap that causes the correction to not have any benefit. Like I noticed that you did that, you know. What, you know, then you start. You keep talking about it. Keep talking about it. Go at the pain. Call it out and say, "I think you're going to. Imp I think you're going to really benefit by, by not doing that next time." Talk to me about that. Yeah. And then I would probably use a little bit of. I wouldn't threaten them, but I'd probably use a little bit because the next time that I, if you do that again, and I'm in the room. Look at me, and I'm going to grin a little bit because because I know that you have it I know you have it in you to improve and I, I want to help you with that and you need to help me it's really a matter of sitting next to them it's it's almost like teaching a teenager how to drive a car yeah it's like sit next to them and let them know you know Larry Crabb's got a book called Connecting he says, it's not so important that people know that you love them. It's that they feel that you love them. And a lot of pastors are guilty of that. They, they tell their church, oh, you know, how much I love you and all this. Churches can tell if the pastor loves them versus that he tells them that he loves them. There's that feeling thing. Yeah. That's why, by the way, that's why Southwest Airlines is still a good company about the feeling that people have about their company. So, And their middle seats are still open, so that's good. They should do that forever. Then I'd really love them. Well, that's what churches... See, the thing of it is that Southwest is willing to do that. Churches aren't. Churches are not going to be willing to keep six feet. No. And they, and they spiritualize it and say, you know, well, Southwest Airlines can say, we're going to put people in the middle seat because you never know, you might meet a, a great new client sitting that right next to them. You know, Southwest is going to, they're going to, they're going to do the right thing, <clears throat> but putting people's butt, butt to butt to butt may not be a, a good thing to do right now. Yeah. Grace, what would you do in that situation? Like if you, you're production managing a big, a long festival or even a tour, and that's a little different because like if you're on the road, let's say a six week tour and you have a stage manager dropping the ball, it affects everyone. And every night th that's a big deal. So like, 
it's not like something you can go, hey, let me encourage you. Like some of those situations are you move people out of the way quickly because so much is on the line. So how do you how do you balance the relation with a person with the responsibility of having to do a job well? Well, you definitely said that there's somebody in line for their job and having yeah. that pressure. <clears throat> it is a little different knowing that there's, you know, three more people behind them ready to answer the phone and jump on a plane. Um, I loved how Stan said to believe in them is really like the first step in, in connecting to them. Uh, I try to remember the moments that made me really good at what I do and um, sucking makes us better. Growing and uh, failure makes us into the people that we've, you know, we didn't get good by being good all the time. We got good by, by getting it wrong sometimes. So I definitely give people a shot earlier on than later. I'm more apt to put someone in a position that's a little more teachable than have a hotshot stage manager come in who knows everything. Those are really the ones that have gotten me in a lot of trouble. Um, hmm. The people that come into the position with a little bit more humility and feel that external pressure of there's someone nipping at my heels that could take this gig away. Um, they, they seem to perform and be transformed into better managers quicker and like Stan I also tried to instill the value that if you're in a management position you serve everyone else not the other way around so uh, you you think that you've excelled to the top of the pyramid but flip that thing around and everyone else depends on you to get it right and so I definitely try to lead from a position of love and understanding, but I'm also really quick to give them a nice firm face shove early and quickly so that it's not, there's not these little things that build up. They know right away. We discuss what went wrong. We make a plan on how to get after it. And there's not a lot of hesitation because like you said, we don't have a lot of time. We've only right. got eight hours till the next show and I need it to get right. They're really, they're also jeopardizing my company's reputation and my reputation with local unions. And it's just not an option to get it wrong. Same as on a Sunday, you know, we're live broadcasting and it, Getting it wrong is a huge learning opportunity, but you're also risking the reputation of the whole organization. So we're we're going to get this right, and yeah, finding somebody that's teachable on the front end is is definitely the way to go. But we all end up with people in our organizations that have been there forever, and they yep. they walk on water, and you're not going to take them down. I have been the person in the meetings to point out that they're the problem and and that has benefited the organization it's been a painful change and um it it rocked the boat and made a lot of people uncomfortable but we got to a better place quicker by being yeah. a little bit of a flag waver and saying hey this isn't working out this person is treating people a certain way because they think that their position is unreplaceable 
And that's just not true. That goes back to that overconfidence thing, too, because the longer that person is in that position with that lack of accountability and lack of being called on the carpet for stuff, the more confident they're going to be in that role. And then they're going to be less approachable and less humble and less coachable and all those things. And it's just going to become a cancer, like Stan said. So that's, yeah. a, that's a good word. And I'm not exempt from it either. I'm I'm kind of a rebel. And I think a lot like most people, we can get complacent in our roles and we are not forced to grow until we are uncomfortable and run in a new direction. So I think it's okay to call people out, you know, not not publicly. I never publicly humiliate somebody in the moment. I pull them aside and say, hey, this is what's going on. We need to correct it right away and give them that opportunity to make the change. Stan, in your book, you talk about how some of that behavior in church can actually be excused from knuckleheads, you know, being knuckleheads because because it's the church. We yeah. have some kind of, you know, moral high ground to act like that and like, well, it's, you know, we're doing God's work in church. So if you have a worship leader that's being a jerk, we can almost excuse it. It's like the dumbest thing ever. Like if that happened and I'm if I'm working at Chipotle and somebody does that, I'm I'm face shoving them like Gracewood, like straight face forward nose in hand face shove straight into the guacamole yeah oh my gosh there's a chapter called lobbing forward and it basically the idea is it's a concept called using modal m-o-d-a-l verbs okay set so for example and i didn't know that until i was talking to a smart person once that told me that's what i was that's what I was talking about. For example, I wonder if, I'll bet you, I wonder what would happen. And those, those there's several listed in the book, but using those ideas, for example. And I've seen it happen many times. The worship pastor is, and Lee, you and, and, you and Jeff are going to give me a standing ovation when I say this. And that is, where the worship worship pastor is, impatient with or unkind in a rehearsal toward the tech person, toward the front of house engineer or the monitor yeah. guy. And, the, you know, and, I, and what I would do is I would go, hey, whenever you t- said this to, the, to, to that, to the front of house guy, do you think that that was helpful the way you did that? So I, w- I will go at a question. I'll go to question. And then I would say, I want you to think about that and then talk to me about later today about it. You know, do you think that's helpful? So I use questions to get, to pin people down. If, if somebody is just being a complete jerk or a, you know what, um, I would move, I would have them come here. I want to talk to you a second. Let's go over here. You were, you were unkind and inappropriate. It hurt you in the moment, the people that heard it. It hurt your uh, potential uh, influence on those people. You have to stop this. It cannot be tolerated. I mean, I would go at it big time. Yeah. When you kicked your in-ear pack across the stage at the monitor guy, do you think that that was helpful? (laughs) Now, I have a question for Grace. 
Can you describe, or in, in your experiences, a redemptive moment when somebody was uh, seemingly getting benefit from being contrary or rude to somebody, and you confronted them, and it turned around, and it turned around, and they, and they, because you confronted them, it caused them to look in the mirror, and they might have even said to you. I was wrong. I hope you'll give me another chance. Can, have you seen that happen on your team? Yeah. Well, I actually let somebody go. I mean, it went all the way and they were very defensive and very strong in their willpower. Basically, they were drinking way too much on the tour and after hours getting in fist fights and just causing problems relationally. During the day, the job was just okay. You know, but at night it was like, man, we can't live with you. And that person got sent home. Um, What's that? Which is redemptive for the rest of the team. Right. And it really was, uh, you know, it got to the point of harassment and other team members not being able to sleep. And even on days off, just feeling plagued by this extra negative personality and so we ran into each other at a festival and there was definitely that awkward like mid-set change in the middle of the stage like locked eyes moment and afterwards after the set went well and the band did well um, that this person was tour managing they came around and you know asked if I had a moment we stepped aside and this person admitted to me that getting fired from that gig was a life-changing situation. And that is not, of course, what was said on the way out the door. I was called every word in the book. I was told, um, I can't stand working for people like you. A radio went flying past my head. I mean, it was just awful. And, you know, fast forward five, six years, it wasn't exactly like, a thank you, but it was definitely like, hey, just so you know, uh, I'm doing a lot better and I appreciate what happened between us, you know. And so while that person hasn't made it back onto my teams, I'm, I'm happy to know that they're excelling in the industry. We run in the same circle again. There's no bad blood. And uh, I feel more confident knowing that if I do rock the boat, if I do see something that's not going well, I am benefiting my team right away. And ultimately, even though I am dodging uh, objects going by my head, I am ultimately doing them a favor, I believe. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I like to document those things. I write down kind of the obstacles I'm going through right now, even today with... Um, you know, massive unemployment and the conversations I'm having with some of my colleagues. I think not denying the problems that we're having now, documenting what's going on. I'm doing my future self a favor because looking back into history, those hard times I went through, they directly benefit me and how I operate in my teams, how I am brave enough to speak up when something's not going well. And heaven forbid, I forget that that's an important thing to do. So I do encourage people to journal. I know it sounds a little silly, but it's good to have that narration going in your head and, and remind yourself that you're going to thrive in spite of what's happening, not in spite of what's happening, but 
because of what's happening, you're going to eventually be in a better situation. And that's not just naive optimism. I really believe that all the places that I've been stretched and painfully grown was God turning me into the person that I'm going to be, even if right now it really sucks. And it does right now. So good. I don't journal as as, uh, consistently as I need to. Uh, that's saying it in a nice way. I, I'm, I just suck at it. Um, the book doesn't count. <laughs> you could use Evernote for that. <laughs> well, I'm going to use Evernote <laughs> for it. Exactly. But the book, somebody asked me how long it take to write that book. I said 32 years. Yeah. You know, so, uh, uh, that, that, that's what it took. But one thing I have done in the last m- few months, I'm confident and confused as to whether God told me to do this or not. I do not know. But the thought came that I'm going to call two people every day that come to mind. And it may be somebody that I haven't talked to for five years, or it may be somebody I talked to six months ago. But I'm going to call two people that that I think think maybe that I need to call this person today. Not that that I think that they need me to, but that's kind of my cell phone journal right now of calling Mm -hmm. people just to see for no reason. Now, we have 50 people on our staff at Slingshot. Now, we have 16 people full-time. The rest are on contract. And uh, I'm, I'm a big student of culture. I think culture is, in many organizations, they talk you know, about values and core values and all that stuff. That's all nice, mission statements and all that stuff. And, uh, but at Slingshot... I have three people at a time that I talk to every other week. They're different three people every time just to do this with so that I can influence the culture. But culture, most churches in particular, churches talk about this is who we are. This is our DNA. Mm -hmm. That's like saying that you have a swimming pool that's filled with cement. It's too solid. It's too, yeah, it's too firm. It's too. So I look at culture. Like my father-in-law used to be, he passed away eight years ago and missed the guy. He was old fart. He was, you know, God, Jesus, and Ronald Reagan, not necessarily in that, in that order. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but he was a John Deere John Deere tractor guy from Northern Illinois, and he had the most beautiful farm. And when he would plant in the springtime, getting ready to plant seed, the soil was, you know, in Northern Illinois, the farm, the soil is dark and almost black as your shoes. And it's so awesome and beautiful. I look at culture like soil that is just ready to be planted. And then when you put a soybean or a corn or wheat Soil is intended to give seed an opportunity to grow. And I want our culture to be like soil, that when a new person comes into it, that the culture is going to change because that new person came into it. I want our soil to breathe with the new people that come in, not that our culture is defined, that everybody needs to salute it. Mm. And... um, that goes back to the L word, which I'm not real big on, which is the loyalty word. 
Yeah. I'm loyal to Jesus. Everybody else is suspect, you know. And uh, <clears throat> so everybody talks about being all in. And this has got to be loyal and all that. That's all. That's fine. That culture is so important, even in relationships If you with a person that's on your team. You know, what, what kind of culture are we building that's going to cause people to want to improve and want to learn? Yeah. Yeah. Man, there's so much gold in this conversation. I'm I know, I having got, trouble uh, keeping up. <laughs> stands and Stan, out. And Stan, Stan's going to his library Bye, now, Stan. so he's about to start. Uh, he's about to start preaching here in a minute. You know, I'm going to show you. The book is called. I can't. It's on. It's back there. I just took 400 books, books, and gave them to the Salvation Army because I hadn't read them and I was feeling guilty, so I just threw them away. Got rid of them. But one of the books I'm reading right now is called Peak. It's by Anders Ericsson, and he talks about what Malcolm Gladwell did not understand about 10,000-hour rule. He said the only way to improve is to have deliberate practice that's painful. And, you know, I, that's what – when I – at the mixed-use stuff, you know, I'll get up and say, guitar players and, and ice skaters are the same. They don't get any better after they're 19. Yeah. And the reason is because – Typically, people aren't willing to improve. Yeah. And because mm-hmm. if you, the word passion, I'm reading a book now that says that passion is BS. That passion, the word passion means pain. And so people that say, oh, I have, I have this new passion to be a photographer or something, or a, new, a passion to be a guitar player. No, you don't. You just have an interest in it. Passion comes it's a, a cloak that people put on after they've had pain in their life. And that's where passion comes on. But most people don't want to improve because they're not willing to go through the pain. So I'm, I'm, I try to convince people every day to have some pain in your life. So That's awesome. Hmm. I heard someone say recently, God is more concerned with our character development than our comfort. And to me, that's what passion is, you know, doing something, uh, even though it's painful, you believe in it that much. Absolutely. That's great. Well, Breakfast with Stan has been awesome. As always. There's always so much more to say. Grace, I'd like to to talk to you more sometime. Yes, please, Stan. I'd love to come visit and meet your team. They sound absolutely amazing. We're 100% virtual, which, by the way, has been helpful. Oh, that's great. Um, I live in Irvine, which is the safest and the most boring city in America. But uh, I'd love to have another conversation with you. So I'd like to learn some stuff from you. Yes, please. And I'm going to dig into this book, too. I took notes on which chapters you mentioned today. And I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much. All right, Stan. So tell everybody how they can get a hold of Improv Leadership because it is a great book and I think everybody in our tribe needs to read it. So what's the best way to connect? Uh, you can go to Amazon. That's a good place to start. I hear they're busy these days. They're they're full-time, most of those people. I mean, like, <laughs> they, they, got, they got like, you know, paychecks and benefits and the whole deal. I mean, that's pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> Uh, you can go to Amazon. You can go to our website. We have some that will sell discount. Uh, or you can email me, and uh, you know, I might even send you one for free if you want to. If you want to send me an email, 
sindicott at slingshotgroup.org. And uh, I've got a box of them in the other room and send me an email and I'll first we'll 10 see what people send one, I'll send you one for free. Well, I love it. That's a great deal. You're about to get some emails. <laughs> That's fine. Send them on. Uh, but anyway, thanks for being interested in that book. And, and uh, the whole concept is improvisation is not making things up in the moment. It's bringing things forward that we've learned early in our lives and, or recently in our lives into the moment. How to lead best in, in any moment. That's what it's all about. So thank you. That's so great. That's awesome. All right, well, let's not wait so long to do this again. What else do our guys need to know, Lee, in general? They need to know to go get Stan's book and leave a review on Amazon. There that we go. would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. I checked this morning. There's a couple dozen on there. I want to see it hit 100 from just our people leaving reviews. Yeah. Five stars or greater. Well, I appreciate it very much, you guys. And, uh... Nothing better than a six-star review. Right. Well, thanks, guys. It's great, as always, to connect, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks a lot, you guys. Blessings to you.